Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. A fine feathered Wednesday to you all. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm Dan Bespris, and this is your middle of the week edition. And a continued look at the various teams across the NBA. As I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, we are going to... Co- to finish up our, you can't really call them postmortems now that we know the season is sort of coming back, although it is a postmortem for eight teams. But the one today will not be a postmortem. This will be a midmortem on the Brooklyn Nets. Thanks to everybody that has written in as a result of our recruiting pitch at the opening of the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespris, D A N B E S B R I S. If you want to hit me up that way, as opposed to the email method, hoopball is hoop-ball.com. A couple of cool things going on over there before we dive into the Brooklyn Nets today. The pros, the hoopball pros have their fifth edition of the hoopball expansion draft. That's tonight live on YouTube. You can get the link through our Twitter feed at hoopball fantasy or through our revamped and recently reopened Instagram page. That's at hoopball official. On Instagram, so it's Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter, Hoopball Official on Instagram. A couple of you guys have uh, started to follow Hoopball over on Instagram. I still don't fully understand how all that stuff works, but uh, guessing you guys do. If you're following it, you probably do. I'm I've got old manitis. Yesterday, we profiled the Philadelphia 76ers, a team that I thought uh, it was sort of a weird mishmash of of guys in that there were possible areas of value, but I didn't. I wasn't entirely sure where some of the middling and lower guys were going to get drafted. Today, for the Brooklyn Nets, this will be probably, unfortunately, probably one of our shorter shows simply because this team is going to have such a completely different look next year and one that harkens to our show from Friday with Steve Vinovich who talked about what to do when teams have two ultra-high usage guys that are just chewing up basically everything that requires a ball-dominant offense. We've talked about the Lakers in the past. We've talked about the Rockets in the past. We've talked about the Clippers in the past. And the one thing that those three teams share is that almost nobody besides the main two guys has fantasy value. For the Rockets, Clint Capella had fantasy value before his trade, and afterwards Rob Covington was able to hang on, and he had a, a good run with Houston prior to the league getting shut down. For the Clippers... There pretty much wasn't anybody else that had fantasy value. For a a bit, Patrick Beverly did, but then he played himself into injuries, and then they brought in Reggie Jackson, and that became a little bit more of a minute split. And so that team pretty much just became Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Montrezl Harrell, who 
basically weighed down by his free throw percent was close, but not quite. Close. We'll give him we'll give him honorable mention because he was probably worthwhile in most in most formats, but really not a good fantasy option this year. Lakers didn't have anybody else that were that was fantasy relevant besides LeBron and Anthony Davis. The Rockets we just talked about. I mean, so you know, we have these we have this precedent to look at with Brooklyn for next year. So with that in mind, I don't want to spend too much time as a show. This will probably be more like a 25-30 minute pod instead of 45 or 50 discussing everything that went on this season only to look at next year and go, and by the way, none of this is relevant. But let's dive in a little bit. Let's cover the Nets a little bit. We'll we'll talk about what different players were doing and what we should look for going forward because this team has sort of two different pieces of their, their team. There's the guys that are coming in, which is Kyrie, who played some this year. Not much, but some. Kevin Durant, who didn't play this year. And DeAndre Jordan. I don't want to forget the sort of third member of the old guard. And when I say the old guard, I actually mean the the old humans that are on the team. The veterans on the team. Not the old guard of guys that have been there for a while. And then you have kind of the new guard, meaning the younger players, but the ones that have actually been there longer, which is guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen. Those are the young guys. And then there's kind of this the in-between crew, which is Joe Harris, who's actually been in the NBA for a little bit longer, but is part of that same group, the Dinwiddie, LeVert, Allen, Joe Harris. And then if you want to flip anybody else in there, like a, oh, I don't know, uh, Curix or who cares? They traded for Torian Prince this last offseason as well. So, but you basically, you basically have two camps. You got the new guys that came in, the older players. You have the younger guys that have been there. Part of the rebuild in Brooklyn with formerly head coach Kenny Atkinson, who's not there anymore. So this year, when healthy, let's talk about Kyrie Irving for a minute here. When healthy, Kyrie Irving was the number five player in fantasy. He was brilliant. His usage was through the roof. He took 21 shots a game, shot 48% from the field, 92 on five free throws per game, one and a half steals, 27 points, three threes, five boards, six and a half assists. Just great numbers across the board. Those will all come down a little bit next season because he'll be playing alongside Kevin Durant. It's just sort of no way around that. How much is debatable, but some. The answer is some. Because when Kyrie played with LeBron James, in every season other than 2016-2017, his shots were in the 16 to 18 and a half range. And in Boston, his shots were in the 18 to 18 and a half range. This year, it went up to 21 because there just there wasn't a ton going on around him when he was on the floor. He knew he wanted, he was the main guy. Next year, Kevin Durant, more than likely, unless his skills erode quite a bit, and they might, Achilles is, is tough, will be the best scoring option on the Brooklyn Nets. So let's assume Kyrie Irving's per game production does come down from number five. He still has a pretty strong track record. Kyrie has been good for a long time. He's never really been healthy. Most games he's played in a season is 75. That was 2014, 2015 in Cleveland. 
He's broken 72 other times in his eight-year NBA career. So three out of eight seasons, nine seasons, excuse me, I got that off by a number. Three out of nine seasons, he's broken 70. And two of those, he barely broke 70. In two others, he was in the 60s. And in three others, he was in the 50s. All that to say, I actually do kind of like Kyrie. (laughs) I know. That's the old okey-doke, the bait and switch from your old pal Dan. There's no way people are going to be drafting this dude high at all after missing basically the entire season. But next year is the one where he's going to play through some stuff. And I have a sneaking suspicion that even as the 1B on this team, which, you know, those two guys are going to generally share the top mantle, you're still going to see Kyrie inside the top 14. He's been that good before. You know, even when his usage was what it was in Boston, which is probably similar to what it'll be with Brooklyn next year, he was still at 24, 5, and 7 with 1.5 steals, 2.5 three-pointers on 49 and 87. And 87 could have been higher. So we're talking about someone who, even when the numbers do take a hit, last year in Boston, Kyrie Irving was number nine in per game in nine category leagues. He could very easily still be a top 10 guy next year. And so here's, here's what I'm talking about. when it, This is the you know per game versus total versus... Do we even want to consider the risk? Kyrie Irving, last year with Boston, missed 15 games, but was still number 14 by totals because of how strong he is. Not was, but is on a per-game basis. I think there's a very real chance you get about 67, 68 games out of Kyrie Irving this coming year. And so while I realize, for those of you that are in head-to-head leagues, that are looking at playoffs and thinking, is he going to play down the stretch? By the way, I think the answer is mostly, he'll probably get a game off here and there, but Brooklyn will likely be fighting for seeding next year. Overall, you're looking at a guy who, again, only played 20 games this year, so he's going to take a massive hit. His ADP is going to drop. I think you're going to see teams pass him over in favor of more young, up-and-coming guys. And so, and these are the types of guys that we always end up looking for when we're, when we're hunting for value because that means that their value is being deflated. We had a, a hypothetical next year draft. Remember there was one of those, uh, oh gosh, I think it was back in late March that we got together with some of the other pros and had a hypothetical Next year draft. You don't know where Kyrie Irving went? 25. I don't know if that's an accurate depiction of where he will go. But what you're going to see for next year is because he basically didn't play this season. He just killed people's fantasy years. You're going to see guys that, frankly, probably should go behind him, go in front of him. Guys like uh, Devin Booker. Guys like Ben Simmons. Guys like Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Nico Vucevic. You could make arguments for other guys going in front of him. You're going to see a lot of guys that performed. I mean, just look at this year. 
Or look at last year. I don't care. Look at the Boston year where Kyrie was number nine. How many guys drafted in the top 24 of this mock draft were behind Kyrie Irving that last season in Boston? Most of them. (laughs) Other than eight, pretty much. Most of them were behind him. And so while I am petrified, and I will admit, petrified is the proper word for it. Petrified that he doesn't break 60 games next year. I do think odds are he plays 65 to 70 games. Maybe you get really lucky and he plays like 71. If he played 71 games with Boston two years ago, he'd have been inside the top 10. And if you can get him, he might be like the the Vooch area this coming season. Like, why is this guy getting drafted 20 to 24? But here he is. You might see Kyrie Irving getting drafted towards the end of the second round next year. And to get into that top 20, even by totals, he probably only needs to play 64, 65 games. That's a bet I think I'm willing to make. I don't think he misses 60 games again next year. I don't think that that's the plan. I think this year was, we ain't winning the championship. I'm not going to go too hard. If I have an injury, I'm going to deal with it. Let the young guys go. We're doing nothing this season. What, are the Kyrie going to lead the Brooklyn Nets to a championship this year without KD? No way. So I'm actually kind of excited about Kyrie. He's a depressed asset who has great, great nine-category lines. He's fantastic in a lot of things. He's very good. And he's going to be dramatically undervalued next year because of how ugly this season went. Let's talk about his running mate, Kevin Durant. Who didn't play a single game this year, but has historically been a top five fantasy guy when healthy. Last year in Golden State, KD in 78 games averaged 26, 6, and 6. 0.8 steals, 1.1 blocks, 52 from the field, 89 at the free throw line. He was great. Excuse me, I think he's number seven by average. He's number four by totals. But this one I'm a little bit less excited about. This one I'm a little less excited about. Because the Achilles is... The Achilles is tough. Yeah, guys come back and and KD is sort of a different type of basketball player. long and lean and athletic. And while on the Kyrie front... I know just a moment ago, I'm like, hey, how about the guy who missed the entire season even though he was supposed to play? And then on this one, I'm, I'm in the other direction on a guy who missed the entire season that wasn't supposed to play. But there's just there's different ways of coming back from things. And for Durant, we don't know what he's going to be. And we also know that he won't even be trying to play in all 82 games. With Kyrie, and you know, if they shorten the season, I'm sure you'll see... Uh, rest days across the NBA. Next season is going to be a year where everybody's getting load managed. It's going to be an issue across the NBA. So I, I, I know that maybe I'm blowing this out of proportion, but with Durant, you can almost guarantee he's not playing in back-to-back. So like right out of the shoot, maximum number of games next year is probably going to be 69. So if anything happens at all, and they're going to be kid-gloving the crap out of him because they know they're going to make the playoffs in a a 
pretty easy Eastern Conference overall. Yeah, there's some good teams at the top, but I, I don't think that Brooklyn's main goal next year is going to be to secure home court throughout the playoffs. It's going to be to make sure KD and Kyrie are both healthy come playoff time. Now with Kyrie, you might see him play in some back-to-backs. If he's healthy, he'll play. He's going to get dinged up. He's going to miss some games, but at least the maximum for him is 82. The max for Durant is 68-69, and then issues that can happen on top of that. So even if KD is a top 10 guy next year, which he could very well jump right back into being, I don't know how he gets inside the top 15 in totals, and he's probably going to get drafted inside the top 15. I, I just, I don't see how not. Let's move on to the big men, because I think that might be one of the very few spots that Brooklyn remains a little bit interesting next year. This season... Jared Allen was ranked number 95, and DeAndre Jordan was ranked 124 over the course of the season. But that doesn't really tell the entire story, because late in the year, the two guys flipped who was starting and who was coming off the bench. Of course, the problem is, even after he was starting, DeAndre Jordan still wasn't that great. Now, we have to ask ourselves a question on the DeAndre Jordan front. Number one, is he going to be the guy that gets the bulk of the center minutes next year? I'm inclined to say yes, largely because he's KD's guy. They're going to go veteran before they go young. I mean, there's a very real chance that Jared Allen isn't even on the team next year, just based on kind of how things have gone here. Like, what do we actually think? Jared Allen is signed next year, and then there's a pretty damn affordable uh they can offer him a a qualifying offer the season after that as a restricted free agent I, i just what's the point they could get so much more for him right now presumably than having him as a backup center but maybe i'm wrong maybe they'll play him as the starting center regardless deandre jordan started he moved into the starting lineup very late in the regular season And yeah, certainly his numbers were a little bit better. But one of the things that, and to me, this is the big knock on DeAndre right now. He's not doing anything defensively. The days of DeAndre Jordan blocking one and a half to two shots or even two and a half shots a game are gone. In Dallas last year, he was at 1.1 blocks. In 31 minutes, year before with the Clippers, he was at 0.9. This year with Brooklyn, he was at 0.9. I know his minutes were down to only 22, but I don't think that was coming up on a per 36. He's just not really blocking shots anymore. And so he becomes now a field goal percent and rebounding specialist. So he better be out there a long time. We need him out there getting 12 plus rebounds if he's going to carry his weight. By the way, not as terrible a free throw shooter anymore. So at least he's not killing you in that department. Would I draft him? Yeah, I'd probably take him late. I'd probably take him late, past the 100 mark for sure. Would I draft Jared Allen? Not unless we get confirmation that he is the starting center. Because when this season turned, it turned quick. Jared Allen, for most of the year, was hanging around the number 90 mark as the starting center, who was seeing just a little bit more than half of the minutes. Like 25, 26, 27 most nights. And then... They flipped ultra late in the season, and his minutes tanked. His minutes went down to 24, 23, and he slipped way outside the top 100. I just don't, I don't see 
how a four-year contract for DeAndre Jordan turns into DeAndre off the bench with KD and Kyrie starting. Presumably, and we've heard this rumor, some of the issue with Kenny Atkinson was that he wasn't playing DeAndre Jordan more. That the new guys in town, the veterans, the big stars, wanted to see DeAndre getting the playing time, and maybe he was pissed about it. I don't know how much he was saying to the media or behind the scenes. I don't have sources like that, but the rumors we heard is that DeAndre wasn't super happy, and so Kyrie and KD weren't happy, and then bye-bye, Kenny. So I think, I think, and I, I truly, we might not get a ton of information on what this team is planning on doing next year because they're at the bottom of the Eastern Conference here, even in the resumption of play coming up in seven weeks. My guess is they'll probably do what they were doing before play ended, where it was basically a split, but DeAndre Jordan was starting at the time the league shut down, so perhaps he'll continue to do that and get his 25 or 26 minutes there. And that might even trend up for next season. So he could be a little bit of a dark horse to be kind of your plodding third center type where if you need a field goal percent and rebounding boost, he can give it to you without crushing you in anything, but also really not helping much in other stuff. And I'd be more inclined to lean his way with a late pick because if Jaron Allen is only getting 22, 23 minutes a game next year, if that, it's just not going to cut it. Not good enough at the foul line, not fast enough to pile, not patent, I should say, not quick enough at piling up rebounding or blocking stats, even though he is better in those right now, especially blocks, than DeAndre Jordan. Now, if Jared Allen gets traded somewhere, he could be a very interesting fantasy player for next season, but we'll have to wait and see on that front. What about the other, well, Joe Harris? No, no, just no, no. There's no upside there. He was number 140 in nine cat this year, and I don't know how he. I don't know how it gets much better than that. He was getting 11 shots a game this season, and he just gets pushed farther down the pecking order. So, no. Same with Torian Prince. No. He might have better looks. I mean, the dude shot 37.5% this year. It's just, from a percentages standpoint, he's just not good. Turns the ball over too much for someone who doesn't get any assists. I'm, I'm out. I wipe my hands of the Torian Prince thing. Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie are the two names that need to be discussed before we can wrap up this podcast because, well, they were two guys that picked up a lot of the pieces, more Dinwiddie than LeVert, when Kyrie was out this season. But it's worth noting that despite playing in 64 ball games and averaging 31 minutes and 16 shots per game, 20 and a half points, seven assists per game, Spencer Dinwiddie somehow didn't even crack the top 150. How do you average 20 and 7 and not crack the top 150? I'll tell you. Thank you for asking. Almost three turnovers a game, negative. 78% at the free throw line, negative. 41.5% high volume field goal percent, negative. No steals, no blocks, and minimal rebounds with fine three-pointers. That's net neutral, more or less. Ever so slight positive. Spencer Dinwiddie is one of the very weird test cases of guys that are good at two things, but they're the two loudest categories in fantasy. Points and assists. Everybody loves to look at points and assists. And so if you saw 20 and 7, you'd be like, all right, this guy, boom, easy top 75. But what you don't know is that he doesn't do anything else. He was overvalued this year, 
I had no problem with moving on from him. Teams didn't even realize the damage he was doing because those two categories were so loud. Everybody was just like, everything must be fine. But he was such an anchor in multiple categories that people just sort of looked the other way. I have no idea how he has a role next season. I mean, he's talking about, like, he had a, didn't he have, like, a, a GoFundMe, and if he people paid his salary, he would go to any team in the NBA? <laughs> That's nuts. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. He's he's thinking outside the box. He's got all of his Bitcoin stuff going on. He's 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 trying to look towards the future a little bit here. Um, but he has he has no viable role as long as he remains on this team. And finally, Karis Levert. What a polarizing fantasy player. I'll give credit where credit's due. He was really good down the stretch. He was really good down the stretch when he was healthy Kyrie was out and they just said do whatever you want man go nuts he was scoring a lot he had a 51 point game mixed in there got some steals not a ton but some got some rebounds got some assists he had good numbers but it took colossal usage to get him to that point this was, and the reason I want to give him credit is because he's a guy that I've kind of dumped on for a while because he was way overrated in fantasy circles. I mean, how long have ever, has the fantasy world been crowing about this dude to get to, what, nine good games at the end of this season? That's not a win, by the way. This is his fourth NBA season, and he's had nine really good fantasy games. So, look. There's a good and a bad with this one. The bad is that he's been way overhyped for all four years that he's been in the NBA. The good is that we now saw flashes of it at the very end of this season. Things started to come around a little bit, whether it was health or just the ability to to kind of be in charge of the team a little bit. He went nuts. He went nuts. He had freedom, and he used it. But he's not a good foul shooter, so that's going to be a negative. He's not a good field goal percent guy, so that's going to be a negative. And... He's not going to be in charge of the team. It's the same issue we just ran into a moment ago with Spencer Dinwiddie. Is he going to be on Brooklyn next year? My guess would be yes. I think they probably want him to be, or I mean, he and Dinwiddie could potentially be a really nice bench force with this team if they go KD, Kyrie, DeAndre Jordan in the first unit and then put a couple guys around them that are, you know, Joe Harris, space the floor, I don't know. Do you throw Torian Prince in there with him to space the floor? Do you throw somebody else out there? I don't think it'll be Dinwiddie or Levert. I think you'll want someone for spacing and defense. And then you've got a pretty action-packed second unit with Jared Allen, Dinwiddie, and Levert. But there's just not enough there. There's simply not enough there. The the time here, we need to be we need to be pragmatic about this. The reason that Levert was a top 40 guy here down the stretch this season was that he was taking 19 shots a game and playing 33 minutes. And that's just not going to happen next year. He's not going to get 19 shots a night when KD and Kyrie are in front of him in the pecking order. So again, while folks may have gotten a week and a half, two weeks of finally, I'm sure they're thinking, Karis LeVert doing stuff, the outlook is not promising. What's the maximum number of shots you think he gets this next year? 13? Yeah, that ain't enough. That ain't even close to enough. 
Would I take him at the end of a draft if he was still floating around? Maybe. I don't know. But he probably won't be. So in conclusion, as we look at this Brooklyn Nets team, in terms of what we learned this year, uh, what we learned is that it's possible for a team to basically just not have any viable fantasy players on it because look at this team. Kyrie was number five, and then Jared Allen was number 95 for the year. They just they didn't have fantasy value this year. When Kyrie was out, it was closer, I guess. Karras was pretty good at the end of the year. DeAndre Jordan had brief stretches. Sometimes there's just teams that don't have fantasy value, and that's okay. Also, we need to read the tea leaves. If a team signs two players, and this, you know, it's a relatively new phenomenon or a rare phenomenon here, but if a team signs two superstars and one of them is expected to miss the entire season, they're probably going to use that as kind of a save-up gear. Not that dissimilar from LeBron's first season in L.A., where he was waiting on Anthony Davis or some other superstar. He sort of took it easy that first year. Guys will take it easy if they don't think that they're their goal is within reach. Kyrie wants to win a championship. So knowing that he could go full bore this year, play through injury, and maybe get his nets to like a five seed, and then before getting smoked by Milwaukee in the second round, that's just not really part of the plan. He'd rather go a little lighter, get his surgeries, get ready, get KD back, and then they'll make their push next year. So we need to be aware of that, and we'll keep an eye out for stuff like that going into next, next season. Kyrie's value couldn't be lower. The perception of Kyrie couldn't be lower. Might be a better way to describe it. The actual value probably couldn't be higher. Because now we move into a season where he wants to be on the floor playing. I don't know what it all means from a leadership standpoint. I don't know how many games he misses. But even if he misses 15, I think he'll be a value next year. Kevin Durant scares me in a, in a special way, coming off an Achilles injury. That's terrifying. He has enough name recognition where he's still going to get drafted early. And to me, that's a guy that ends up potentially going in the first round that could miss 20, 25 games, and that would kill you. That would kill your team. Dinwiddie, no. Lavert, no. Joe Harris, no. If Jared Allen is coming off the bench, no. DeAndre Jordan, late round center. And we can pretty much pick out where this whole team's going to be next season already. Terrifyingly easy team to handicap because it's all about buckets. It's all about buckets at this point. Not getting buckets on the basketball court, but buckets of where you would draft a guy. And Dinwiddie and Lavert and Jared Allen and Joe Harris, these are all late-round guys now. If that. DeAndre Jordan is an early late-round guy because he has a better shot as the big man next to guys that will get him dunks by the boat full. He'll just be out there collecting defensive rebounds. And then you got Kyrie and KD, and it comes down to where those guys finish. They'll probably both finish around the top 10. Kyrie will probably play maybe three, four more games than Durant does next year, and that'll be the day. The end. Tomorrow, we'll wrap up our post-mortem season with a look at the New York Knicks, and then we are going to pivot into how did Yahoo do? This is one of my favorite segments we do every year, looking at how Yahoo's preseason rank compared to end-of-season rank. And I know what you're saying. Dan, there's still eight games left. I don't care because eight teams are gone. 
So I want to do this now before the season resumes and stats all get mushed together. I don't want mushed stats. I want stats to this moment, to March 11th, effectively. This moment, June 10th, which is the same as March 11th. Oh my God, it's been three months. Can you believe it? Good Lord. I want those stats to work off of so we can see how did Yahoo do? And in seasons past, it's been fairly illuminating at how close they get on early picks versus middle picks versus late picks and how we're able to determine basically where no man's land begins. And part of why I think we need to get more aggressive. We'll see if it holds up. So that'll start later this week. Uh, We'll be talking to Eric Ong in the next week or two about the resumption of the NBA season and what we as fantasy players can do about that. We'll talk to Aaron Bruschi here in the next week or two as well. The founder of HoopBall, El Arquitecto. We'll talk about what he's been doing during what I would call downtime, except as someone who's also dealing with childcare, not downtime. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll just pull some pros from the HoopBall ranks. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Check out uh, the new HoopBall Pelicans podcast. Our guy Lyle Swithenbank just posted that late last night which I believe was the middle of his day, down under. And uh, that'll be available over at Hoopball Pels in the next hour or so. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a Hoopball presentation. I'm Dan Bespris, again, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Have a wonderful Wednesday, everybody. We'll talk at you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.